You know, this was one of the hardest sermons for me to write. And you'll see why. But Job, who was Job, right? The Bible tells us that Job comes from the land of us. Us. Not us. Us. Right? It's mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. And if you understand global geography, well, let me help you out if you don't. This is the Nile River, which is located in Egypt. Right now, this area of the world is in the news. That's Israel. And so the land of us is somewhere over here. No one knows. No one, none of the scholars can tell us exactly where us is. But we do have a couple of indicators in the Bible that it may lead us to that location. Why is it that we can kind of pinpoint where that we know that the Bible tells us that as he suffered on the from the hands of the Chaldeans and so this was all under Chaldean uh, this whole area okay this was all Chaldean today we look at this map and we say this is the upper northeast corner or northwest corner of Saudi Arabia that's what we look at. The land of us. This may help you a little bit better. But, so they think it's somewhere right here, right by the sea. The Bible also tells us that he lived in a desert. Well, how do we know that? He tells it in his book. The Bible also tells us that this was a man that was very blessed. The very first three verses talks about who he was, and this is what it says. And he had seven sons and three daughters, ten kids. God bless him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys in a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all people in the East. I became curious. I started doing some basic calculations, and it came out, if in today's society, his net worth would be about $51 million. You factor the amount of animals he had and you factor the amount of land that he needed just to tend those animals which is roughly 20 acres per thousand you do the math well i did it for you 51 million dollars so this is the introduction we have for david Thank you, Job. David on my mind. This is the introduction we have for Job. A very rich man. 
The Bible also says that he was blameless and righteous. How many of you would like to have this kind of introduction to you? Okay? Blameless, righteous, and wealthy. How many want that? If you don't have your hand raised, you're lying. Because money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with being rich. I wouldn't mind being having a net worth of 51. I can, do you know what I would do if I had a net worth of $51 million? Lord, I'd build a school. Right? If I, had, if I had that much money, I would build a school. I would also make sure that all of our finances are covered. I would make sure that my family is cared for. Oh, so much so. The Bible does say that his, all of his kids had a house. And that at some point, all of his children would come together at some time in the year, and they would have these big parties. And Job, what he would do, he, he would go and offer sacrifices. He would pray on their behalf because he didn't know if during those festivities they would sin or not. He was a righteous man. He was a good father. And he was rich. And then the scene changes. Talking about coming out of left field. The scene changes because it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Have you stopped to think about this for a minute? Satan had access to heaven still. And so the, this book tells us that there was a, a representative from the sons and, da- and, and, and daughters of God who represents from different places. It definitely was not earth. And they came before God, and God's like, oh, Satan... What brings you in today? By the way, have you considered Job? But before I even get to that, do you know why Satan had access to heaven? Do you know why he was there? Why was Satan present in this meeting that was supposed to be those that were considered the sons of God? He usurped the position of Adam. Yes. Check this out. The book of Ephesians, Paul calls the prince of the air, the one who, is in, who is, has power and dominion over the earth. The prince of this air is an allusion to Satan. John chapter 12 Jesus is making a statement that now is the time of judgment. That the prince of this world is going to be cast out. Jesus even himself recognized Satan as the individual who represented humanity 
And, uh, and this is exactly what this, this meeting is about. All those who represent their world, they came together, and, and Satan is now has taken upon himself to represent the earth, humanity. And it continues, from going to and from the earth and from walking back and forth from, and then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my Satan Job, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who shuns evil? See, here's the text I was referring to, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. The prince of the power of the air and the, prince, the spirit who now works in the sons of God. This is all an allusion to Satan. And John chapter 12, verse 31. The ruler of this world. Because of Adam's sin, Satan now is your representative. This is up until just before Jesus came. Satan was man's representative. And he shows up saying, I, yeah, I've been all over the place. But by the way, you are only blessing. He's only faithful to you because you blessed him. He's only faithful to you because he's got money. He's got fame. He's got power. He's a wise individual because you have given him all of these gifts. It's easy for us to worship God when things are going right. And so Satan knew that because he's seen it and he throws this back in Jesus' face. This is nothing more than the same original sin masqueraded in a different, and packaged in a different present. Because the first question was, wait a minute, God told you that you should not eat? God doesn't, that's not very fair, is it? He's keeping you from eating this fruit? He doesn't want you to eat it because you're going to become wise. And so here, he's saying the same thing. God, you're not being fair. You're not being just. You're not being righteous. Because you're giving him all of this, and this makes it easy for him to follow you. No problem. Have at it. You just can't touch them. So what happens? Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it to the book of Job chapter 1. I don't have this on the screen. I'm going to quickly... Run through this. Job chapter 1, beginning with verses 13. Now there was a day when, the sons, when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians... This is the Chaldeans, raided them and took them away. And indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. As he was saying this, somebody else came over and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone am here to tell you. 
And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. But while this person was speaking, another also came and said, My son, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine, and the oldest brother of the house, and suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, on the on young people, and they are dead. I alone escaped. The next verse. Job rose. He tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. Worshipped. The word that is used here is not the word halal, for which we get the word hallelujah. That is not the praise and the worship that he's used here. The word that is used is one, as in to bow down and to submit. He worshiped. Round tables. How quickly would you be in worshiping God after such calamity and why? You have just gone through this. Now, I get it that we are thousands of years removed from what happened in Job, but think about your own life. And I know some of you have suffered great loss. When this happened, when such a loss happened, how did you respond? How would your worship to God look like? And if you were in Job's place, what does that look like? Go ahead. Discuss amongst yourselves and we'll talk about this in a couple minutes. This is the time that we get to, I get to hear from you. Would anybody here like to share what you guys have discussed in the table or where you are, feel vulnerable. Adrian. Right here. You're next. Keep going. Good morning, church family. So I'm going to be very vulnerable with you, those of you that don't know. Um, I am a mom that lost a 14-year-old son in 2019. So this question really hits home for me. Um, I know when I was in that moment begging for the Lord to save my child, and then after he passed, the anger that arose out of me, I can't even explain. But I did drop to my knees and worshiped and asked him to take my child home and to protect him until I can walk, walk eternal life with him. Mm. Thank you. So that's coming from a place, 
from somebody that's experienced what Job experienced. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else would like to share? I mean, it's, it, not to put it into categories, but it's hard to top that. It's hard, hard to follow. I was, I was asked, Pastor, what would you have done? How quickly would you do that? I said, honestly, I don't know. Honestly, let's, let's just be real. You got 10 kids. I got two. Right? Some of you have a little more. My prayers are with you. As you pray for me. But to lose your kids, take away my house, take away my, my wealth, take away everything, but leave me my kids. He falls down and he worships, right? The word here that is described to worship is one who bows down, but not only bowing down, it's a way of life. When this word is used in the Hebrew, it describes how he lived, always in a state of worship, surrendering to the Almighty. But wait, it gets from bad to worse. The Bible tells us, right? Satan goes back to heaven, and then he says, God says to Satan, so, what did you think? Well, mess with him a little bit. See if he's going to be faithful, Satan says. And so God responds, go ahead, but you cannot kill him. Satan needs God's permission to kill his children. Let me say that again. Satan needs God's permission to kill his children. He, God told him explicitly, you can touch him, do whatever you want. You can't, kill, you can't kill him. You can't take his life away. So what does he do? He inflicts him with a skin disease that's so horrible that he has to leave. He steps outside of his household, outside of his city, outside of his dwelling. He finds a... A dung heap basically is what they would take the excrement and, they would he- and there he was with the outcast of, of society of that time. The Bible tells us that he would scratch, he would itch the scratch, not with his nails, not with his fingers, but he would find shards of pottery to be able to relieve the stress. I'm not making this up. His wife, the person who's supposed to be his soulmate, the person who's the mother of this children, the one who's supposed to be standing next to him through better or for worse, till death do you part, right? She shows up and she says, are you nuts? Why don't you curse God and die? Scholars have debated on how to interpret that. They've come up with a couple of solutions, and and one of them is just, she's just frustrated with God, angry at God, maybe as you felt at first, Adrian, because you had no explanation as to why this happened. 
There's no reason. Right? The rest of the book of Job, from this point forward, it's Job sitting with his so-called friends trying to understand why this happened. Why bad things happen to good people. Why do we go through these trials and tribulations? Why do we find ourselves in some of these predicaments that it's hard for us to look, up, look to God and, and say, I got you. I worship you. It's hard. He just lost his entire household, his kids. Money can be replaced, but kids cannot. And now his wife? No, it's no wonder. Solomon writes, it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop than to live with a nagging wife. Listen, I'm just, I'm just spitting facts. So, the Bible doesn't tell us any more about his wife. She goes out of the picture, and his friends come in. You know what I appreciate about Job's wife? She was honest. The second part, the, the second alternative interpretation of that, now you have to understand the thinking of that time was that something bad happened to you because you sinned. So because you did something wrong, a curse is going to fall on you. And man, what a curse befell in, on Job. So in her thinking, she came and she approached him from that mindset saying, listen, just curse God. It's going to be a much faster, easier death than for you to receive a generational curse from the Almighty. It's easier for you. Just, if you, just get it over with. Don't prolong the issue. Sometimes we, there's an expression in, in, in Portuguese means to, to translating it has nothing to, it's the complete opposite in English. In Portuguese it says to kick the bucket. Okay? Chutar o balde. In English that means you're going to die. But in Portuguese chutar o balde means that you just go, oh, forget it, I'm just, I'm done with it, I'm, Whatever. Okay? And so here she's telling Job, just be done with it. Get it over with. No matter which approach you take, you still have the fact that she is looking, she's not looking at the Almighty like Job is. And so as he spends time with his friends now in the, into the scene, they tell him, listen, you, you did something. There's, n there's no way. And Job is defending himself, saying, listen, I have done nothing wrong. I am innocent. I return my tithe. I pray for my kids. 
I love my wife. I don't cheat on her. I do everything accordingly to what God has asked me to do. I am innocent. And he pleads and it goes back and forth with his, with his friends. And his friends like, okay, you may be innocent, but you don't understand God. God is much more righteous than you. And he said, listen. The problem when we look at Job is that even during all of this, we come to this particular verse in Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand on la- at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will seek God. Here's a question that came to my mind after reading this. How sure are you of your salvation? How sure are you that should something happen, you're going to see God? And in the context of this verse, it's face to face. Despite everything that's happening, Okay, we know he hasn't cursed God yet. And we know that he, has, he will not curse God. If you, read, if you have read the book, he still does not, and he's faithful. But his friends are still accusing him of all sorts of things. Young people, be careful who your friends are. There's an old adage Tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. Oh, by the way, that doesn't go with kids either. It goes for adults too. (laughs) Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. In English, birds of a feather? Oh, you guys know. Your friends can be a huge blessing in your life. Or they can be a, a, a pebble in your shoe. Be careful who your friends are. And, and so they try to dissuade Job in every facet. But Job is steadfast. He doesn't change. He doesn't waver. He doesn't fluctuate to one side or the other. And what scholars call the center of the book is chapter 28. And the essence of chapter 28 is this. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. This is Job saying this. But what has Job done? The question I pose to you is that. Job hasn't done anything. And he's still suffering. And do you know why this is the hardest book to preach on? Because the Bible does not reveal that God told Job why he went through what he went through. There's no question, there's no answer to the the why question. And that is the question that Job was asking. Why? Well, 
at the end of the book, there's an interaction between Job and God. And God asks him these, these are just a few of the questions there. And he says, do you know when the mountain goats bear their young? Right? Have you given the horse strength? How many of you have, ever, have never ridden in a ho- on a horse? One, two, three. Okay, thank you. I had the privilege of being bucked off one. It's not fun. You're riding, okay? You're riding onto the trail. And what they told me was, if you feel that the horse is getting antsy, do circles. You pull on the rein and you make it do a circle to get his mind out of that mindset of whatever state he's in. And so we start going into into the trail, and I can just feel there's just nothing is going my way. And he gets antsy, and almost in a split second, I am right next to a pine tree, and he rears up, and I jump off, and I'm hugging the tree, and he bolts off. The instructor comes right behind and I'm clinging to that tree for my dear life he's like what happened I'm like where's the horse (laughs) the horse bolted off they say that if the if a horse knew the strength it had it would not allow you to mount it have you given the horse its strength God says can you draw out the leviathan with a hook Some wonder what the Leviathan is. Some think it's a sea creature or some sort. But let's just assume it's the blue whale, which is right now what we know as the biggest animal on the sea. Can you pull out a blue whale with a hook? Can you put a reed through its nose? These are all rhetorical questions. And God's saying, do you understand all this? Do you have an understanding to explain why these things are? The irony is that Job recognizes that wisdom comes from obeying God, and yet God is saying, listen a minute, you think you, think you know what wisdom is? Let me tell you. Do you know these things? Here's where my conclusion to this story comes in. There are times in our life that we don't know why we go through what we do. I can't explain to you, Adrian, why you lost your son. I can't explain to you why you lost your husband or your wife. I can't explain to you why you may have lost a job. I can't explain to you why you got what you got. But all I can tell you is, if you trust God, it will be okay. My wife and I, we had just been married. 
We dated long distance for about a year and a half. We traveled to Brazil to get married. We had our honeymoon. She went back to Massachusetts and I went to New York. And we stayed long distance even after married for, marriage for a short time. My contract, at the time I wasn't even a full-time employee. I was what they called a task force worker. I worked part-time, or I should say I worked for a part-time's wage at a full-time schedule. And now I'm married. And my wife is, in, is, in a, is here on a student visa. And my contract is up. And I know what you're thinking. What were you thinking, Pastor Hart? Getting married at that stage in your life. I mean, I, we look at each other sometimes like, what were, you, what were we doing? However, we knew we knew that was what the direction that God had opened the door for us to walk through together. However, we couldn't tell. We could not tell. And so, she finished her semester in Massachusetts. She was going to school. She came down to New York, and this was about end of December and we're sitting there together talking and we look at each other and we ask the question, what's next? And we both said, I don't know. We got to figure something out. And so I said, let's, let's pray. The only thing I, I could do, the only thing I could offer of, that would make any sense was let's pray. And so we started praying, she started praying, and I went home for a weekend, and I went to see my former boss, whom I had worked for also as a task force, but I was getting a quarter of a full-time salary for a full-time's work. I came in and said, hey, just wanted to share, you know, my wife and I got married, here's my wedding album, etc., and he said, how'd you like to come work for me? Now, you have to understand, I was in New York. This was in Massachusetts. I said, I'm not, I didn't come here looking for a job. He said, I know. But every person that I've interviewed that came in after you is not you. And so I said, well, I need X per month in order for me just to get by. He said, excuse me a minute. Turns around, reaches for his Blackberry. For those of you that remember what that looked like, for the young kids who don't know what that is, Think of an iPhone 15 Pro Max, now twice that size. And what? Exactly. And in a quarter of the speed. And it, was, it was a mini typewriter. No apps. 
And you, what was cool about it is there was a walkie-talkie feature. So he reaches for his Blackberry and he calls the treasurer of the conference. He says, listen, I have art in my, in my house. What's it going to take for us to get him back? Long story short, the week that I needed to move out from my place, the week that she needed to be re-enrolled in her college in order for her to maintain her status as a student here in this country, the week that I needed financial Better a better financial picture, everything came together. But not all stories end in a positive note. The fact of the matter is, when you put yourself in a position of worship, God will work, come to you and say, it'll be okay. And you have to be content with that and move forward in faith with that, not knowing what the result will be, because when the result comes, you're going to look back and say, God was wise. And you can question, why did I lose my job, or why did I have to do this? And things will fall into place in such a way that you're going to take a, look, a step back and you say, hindsight's twenty twenty. God knew what he was doing all along. I was just too dumb and blind to see it. The Bible doesn't reveal to us that God revealed to Job why he went through that. But God, in a way, told, told Job, it will be okay. And some of you are going through some really deep, hard stuff. And God's message to you today is, it will be okay. But you need to worship. You need to worship the creator you need to trust him you need to allow him to work things out on your behalf and you know what it's scary because you can't see the end from the beginning you know what happened to job the bible tells us that his net worth doubled i'm not going to promise you that that may not be in the cards or in the works for you But do you trust God? God can make your relationship at home turn around. God can make your finances turn around. God can make you fill in the blank. It will be okay. But you and I, we must have the attitude, even though this may not happen, I will still worship him who made me. That was Job's position. And it's hard. It's not easy. Even though, that's why David says, that even though, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
wherever you will find yourself this morning, God has promised that he will not, never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said, yea, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And even in Psalm chapter 23, he says, I will not leave you. I am with you. I will walk with you. Whatever is, whatever that is going on in your life that I don't know about, but God does. Trust him. Worship him. It will be okay. I don't know what the future will hold for you in that particular situation, but worship him. There will be a way out. I will also say this. You won't regret it. I've never seen somebody who has regretted to fully commit to God. Even if they lose their life, what did, what did Job say? In my flesh, I will see God. Amen. I want to make it to heaven. Despite what happens here, I want to make it to heaven. I want to see God face to face. And the only way that I can do that is if I worship him and I continually worship him no matter what happens. Worship him. God bless you.